stay home, stay safe, and together we can beat this virus. These were the words of the fishing game group in New Zealand who I have a licence to fish with. And similar Babel-like expressions, I have to say, are being heard all over the world. You remember Babel, I hope, that unanimous human moment of rebellion that declares that we can do it and we can do it without God. (laughs) It's an ongoing human reality where our failures seem to fall on our proud deaf ears and a refusal to admit that actually we can't do it without God. The noise of our predicament is deafening and when this current crisis, COVID-19, is over, the noise should ring out and declare our idols actually are impotent and ourselves impoverished. That's why today is so important. And the trumpeting herald of this day must sound over all the pride and arrogance of humanity and call us back to God. Christ is risen. And if you you have faith and you're listening to this, you'll be responding at this point, he is risen indeed. And that's important for us. You know, some years back I buried the son of two of my closest friends. I spoke to him only last weekend and told him that I'd be talking about uh, this very passage that uh, um, so affected his children that his children loved. What do you say in the face of such tragic times when life declares that we are not in control and what's left of life screams for the promise of hope? Well, in the time we've got together, I want to take us to the Bible story that my little friend Paul, before he passed away, loved to read with his brothers and his sister. It's a strange Bible story. It's the story of Ehud, the left-handed man. Or perhaps you could call him Ehud, the left-handed swordsman. It's a story probably not allowed to be told in in Scripture classes, but it's one that every child is fascinated by. It's an odd moment, I recognise this, for an Easter sermon, but it is by no means unrelated. So to the third chapter and the twelfth verse of the book of Judges, I want you to turn and to Ehud, the left-handed man. It certainly is a colourful story, the idea of swords disappearing into the fat king's gut and then people thinking that he was actually spending too much time on the toilet such that the assassin, Ehud, could make his escape. Why, that just fascinates people who read this story. And in truth, it's not just a childish story. No, it's a strange story at Easter that is a very, very appropriate one. Like all troubles, Israel began, Israel's began with a people rebelling against the God of justice. They lived life without God and they struggled under the implications of that kind of worldview. The book of Judges is like a terrible and educational circular argument that is absolutely correct. Circular arguments are not always wrong. Sometimes they're absolutely true and this is one of them. See, the people would rebel against God and God would hand them over to their sin and the consequences of their sin. 
The people under the consequences of their sin would then start to realise the implications and how tragic things had become and they would cry out to God who would then raise up a deliverer who would actually set them free and grant them a peace restored. That's the kind of cycle that happens in the book of Judges. It's an old story that reflects a present reality, really. Sin has never been a great cultivator of the human soul, has it? Indeed, its bondage has a wager that is death. Death of relationships, death to the impact on our environment, death to our spiritually mentally, physically, emotionally, ultimately ending in the grave. God, in his judgment, hands people over to their sin. And when we inevitably realise that a life of sin without God is intolerable, if we turn back to him, he offers us Jesus Christ, the Easter Saviour, as our deliverer. And a peace restored. In Judges chapter 3, Israel was in trouble as God handed them over to be dominated by a bully king called Eglon. Four times in five sentences, verses 12 to 17, his full title is used, Eglon, king of Moab. And it seems to the, the repetition gives you the kind of perspective of what dominates and controls and rules over God's people. His authority and his power was only surpassed by the grotesque shape of this king. In verse 17, Eglon, king of Moab, was a very fat man. And he didn't get fat by eating Easter eggs, no. He got fat eating off the misfortune of the people he ruled over. And if you have your Bibles open, you would notice in verse 14 that Israel has been subject to this enemy of God's people for 18 years. Their sin-ridden, God-denying worldviews had brought them undone and there seemed to be no light in their darkness. Of course, sin has dominated us much longer than 18 years and left us in the darkness. That could so easily be a description of our modern world. More than four times a day, we hear the viral king, COVID-19, declared. He overwhelms us all day, every day. We are confronted by the international bully, not just of COVID-19, but of sin itself. And as we consider both, we are dominated by the darkest of enemies, death. Its grotesque shape has locked us down and seemingly isolated many in a place where the light seems actually to be so dim. Of course, to the observant, to the repentant, to those who cry out to God, Easter offers the person of Jesus Christ as a light in the darkness and one who silences the bully of death and crushes its grotesque nature. In desperation, of course, many turn to prayer for help, don't they? And it may be an admission of weakness, as often people describe it. But it's not foolishness. 
I mean, it's wise to go to God when we realize circumstances are out of our control. It's wise to go to God when you realize that you are under his judgment. Which is exactly what the people of God in Eglon's day were left with. Only one option. And that was to cry out to God for help. I must admit that I wonder how people actually survive in dark times like these without prayer, without God. I guess they turn in on themselves. uh, But if self is the problem, then... That is a circular argument of futility, isn't it? If in fact self can't solve the problem, to turn to self when self can't fix it. As Israel prayed in Judges, God seemed to make from a worldly perspective what looked like a very weak and foolish left-handed man the answer to their problems. Verse 15, again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Gera the Benjamite. To all us left-handers, it's good to know that God can use us lefties for his purposes, but that's not the point here. Interestingly, verse 17, the Israelites sent Ehud with tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. But Eglon, the enemy of God's people, he was going to get more than he bargained for. You see, in verse 16, we're told Ehud had made a double-edged sword about a foot and a half long, which he strapped to his right side under his clothes. Being a left-handed swordsman was an unexpected reality for Eglon's kings. They're used to right-handed swordsmen, and so they didn't check him properly, and they allowed Ehud to carry his self-made weapon undetected into the presence of the king. And in verse 19, with the promise of a secret, this fat man who loved secrets pushed all the people out of the building only to be left with Ehud. Ehud left alone with Eglon, king of Moab. And as Ehud approached Eglon, he declared from where the secret was going to come. He said, I have a message from God for you. And then came the part that every child loves, the story as a whole. As the king rose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand, drew the sword from the right thigh and plunged it into the king's belly. And the handle sank in after the blade, which came out his back. Ehud did not pull the sword out and the fat closed over it. Then Ehud went out to the porch. He shut the door of the upper room behind him and locked them. After he'd gone, the servants came and found the doors of the upper room locked. They said, he must be relieving himself in the inner room of the house. They waited to the point of embarrassment. But when he did not open the door, King Eglon, the door of the room, they took a key, unlocked it, and there they saw their lord, Eglon, king of Moab, fallen to the floor, dead. And while they had waited... Ehud got away. When you read the stories of Judges, you can't help but be struck by the weapons God uses to destroy the enemies of his people. They are very strange. Shamgar struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. Jael hammered a tent peg into the head of Sisera. Gideon used trumpets and flaming torches to defeat the Midianites who ended up fighting themselves. Samson used the jawbone of an ass to kill a thousand men and his strength was actually in his hair. 
An unknown woman dropped a millstone on Abimelech's head. And of course, Ehud, the left-handed man, he left Eglon, the fat bully king, dead on the floor. All strange weapons. And yet, it's these Old Testament moments of God using the strangest weapons to set people free that ultimately point to the strangest weapon of all in history. And that is the Good Friday cross of Christ. In the past, God raised up deliverers and made them successful in answer to people's prayers. But against our greatest enemy of sin, God didn't raise up a deliverer. No, God himself came as a deliverer to overcome sin and death for his people. Our God, Jesus Christ, would alone confront sin, the sin that locks us down, that isolates us from one another and from God. He would enter the chambers of the merciless tyrant that is death and vanquish it through personal suffering and the weapon of his cross. And while the lifeless body of the dead King Jesus would hang limp on Good Friday, what we might consider as weak and foolish, like a left-handed swordsman, why this was the answer of God for human sin. This was the answer that bring light into the world, that would see heaven opened and the treasures of forgiveness, God's forgiveness given to us. As Ehud, by the grace of God, of course, walked from Eglon's chamber with the bully of God's people dead. On this Easter Sunday morning, we know Jesus would leave the chamber of death, its power emptied by his resurrection. <laughs> Eglon, king of Moab, four times his name dominates Judges chapter 3. He seems to loom so large, but it's as though the whole story is set up to mock the enemies of God's people. We are meant to see that the high and lofty rulers of this world are in fact no match for God, who is king over all. But then there's death, 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 death. More than four times it looms over us today, like an unconquerable monster. But it is also belittled from a cross and overpowered by the risen life of the God who always saves his people. You know, as Ehud, the left-handed swordsman, left Eglon defeated and dead on the floor, we read that he blew a trumpet on the hill of Ephraim, in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people rose victorious over their enemies and once more found peace. Now I draw that to your attention, and I particularly draw to attention the trumpet. Trumpets play a very important part all the way through the Bible. But I draw it to your attention because in 1 Corinthians 15, after Jesus had died and risen, we are told of another trumpet that sounds. And the Apostle Paul, he kind of comes to us and says, I have a secret, but it's... He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. And then he unpacks the mystery for us. 
that we might know its truth. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In the flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must be clothed in the imperishable, and the mortal with the immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the Lord. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. To all who are listening and rattled by the insecurities of our age, God has raised up a rescuer, a deliverer, and he has mocked death by defeating it. And while the impact of sickness, sin and death confront us, the trumpet sound of Christ's resurrection is the trumpet sound of victory. And the promise and offer of peace. So I encourage you this Easter Sunday to find your peace in the resurrected Son of God. Death defeated, forgiveness offered, your future assured. So my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord Jesus because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Indeed, it is eternal. And all God's people said, Amen.